The reading this evening is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 39. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days, after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. This is God's word. Evening, everybody. It's uh, lovely to be here with you. Let's pray. Let's pray for God's help, and then we'll look at this uh, quite stern and yet wonderfully encouraging passage together. Our Father, in some ways, it's easy to worship you by singing glorious truths about you. But we pray now that as we look at your word together, you would help us to worship you with minds that concentrate and think hard about the truths that you're speaking to us, but also with hearts that respond with obedience and trust. Father, we ask that you would help us to do this by your Spirit, for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Look, the big issue is this, really. For those of us, and I guess it'll be a majority here, who would say we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, who follow Christ, how big a deal is it if there's a load of sin still left in my life not dealt with? Look, if I'm already really different from the person I used to be, some big obvious stuff has been dealt with. You know, I now look like a Christian. I don't mean I dress like an idiot. I mean, you know, my life looks different. I'm... I'm trying to live in a way which honours God. Does it matter if, you know, there's a load of stuff under the surface that hasn't been dealt with? You know, Hebrews has been, if you've been here for the last um, wee while, you'd have been battered around the head week by week with the message of Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest and Jesus is our finished sacrifice. Sin has been dealt with. We don't need to live in fear if we trust in Jesus because our sins have been dealt with. Well, if that's the case, does it really matter if there's still a measure of selfishness and worldliness and filth floating around in my heart? 
And does it matter that, if I'm honest, I, it doesn't look like I'm going for it as much as perhaps it did a few years ago. You know, it is hard to live for Jesus. If you try really taking the Bible seriously, doing what it says and trusting in Jesus, nice Christians will call you a fundamentalist and a little bit extreme. Maybe even your parents. It is hard swimming against the tide of culture, having different dreams, different ambitions for life, different standards that you live to. And the sad truth is, I guess most of us who would call ourselves Christians would know that as time goes by, we ease off the pedal. We slow down and we get better and better at fitting in with the world around us. And we become less and less distinctive and effective as witnesses for Christ. We find less and less that people notice the difference between us and the world. Does it matter though? Ultimately. Tonight's passage is one in which the Holy Spirit addresses each and every one of us here and says, yes, it matters. He tells us that sin, the ongoing sin in our hearts that we indulge, is far more serious than you and I dare to think. But he also encourages us, it is worth it. It is so worth it living for Christ. Uh, Let's see how he does it. Um, Page 1208 in your Bibles. And we'll look firstly at verses 26 to 31 and a warning about future judgment. Verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Don't worry, if, uh, if you're a visitor here, I'm not going to single you out and make you stand up and do anything weird. But if you, if you would call yourself a Christian, stick up a hand. If you've sinned in the last week, keep your hand up. Some people who didn't have the hand up before have the hand up now, which I guess is great. Uh, if you sinned deliberately in the last week, keep your hand up. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I guess the fact that I'm standing up here rather than weeping in the corner tells you that there is hope in this passage. But those are frightening verses, aren't they? Does it mean that we are in, we're condemned? Well, I think that actually the context of these verses, when we read the rest of this passage, tells us, it's not that sin doesn't matter, but it's a particular sin he has in mind. And that is the ultimate sin of rejecting Christ entirely. Look on with me. Verse 28, anyone who rejected the law of Moses, that is the whole Old Testament system that God gave, that is turning your back on what God has said in the Old Testament and saying, I no longer want to be part of the people of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who's treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? See, what he's talking about is turning our back on Jesus Christ, saying, yep, you hung on a cross and died. Frankly, I couldn't couldn't care less. It's too hard. Don't like the changes in life I've got to make. So if you don't mind me just 
you know, trampling on your blood as I walk past. Thanks, but no thanks. What a thing to do. Now, for the people he's writing to, the temptation was to return to Judaism. You see, to start with, um, in the Roman Empire, basically there was this rule that uh, they allowed a lot of the religions of the peoples that they conquered because it, you know, it kept the kept the sort of the great unwashed quiet if you if you let them carry on with some of their cultural nonsense. But new religions they didn't like. They didn't want people starting up new weird things. And to start with, they just thought. Christianity was some sort of slightly strange, weird version of Judaism. So fine, you know, you're all right. But eventually they started to realize it's not just a different version of Judaism. It's a radically new belief system. And that's not all right with the Roman Empire. And when things weren't all right with the Roman Empire, it was a problem. As you found out if you didn't like being eaten by lions eventually. And so you can understand, there's a, you know, I have the choice here. I can uh, be a Christian, go to church. Uh, we, we get to sing a, better songs, but I could be thrown to the lions. Hmm. Let me think about that for a minute. And there's a huge pressure. If, all I've got to do is go back to Judaism. You know, the Old Testament, you know, two-thirds of my Bible stays the same. Just got to rip out the new bit and ignore the Jesus guy. But the writer warns them, you can't turn your back on Jesus. It's not a small thing. You're not just changing the way that you look at your Jewish faith. You're trampling on the blood of the Son of God. You're slapping the Holy Spirit in the face. And if people died rightly for rejecting God in the Old Testament, then how much worse would it be to reject not uh, not the shadows and signs that were given in the Old Testament, but the reality, the precious Son of God who died on a cross for our sins. So why doesn't he say that in verse 26? Why not say, if you turn away from Jesus, rather than if you deliberately keep on sinning, if that's what he means? He doesn't say it to our ears, but he does actually say it. The problem is the way we hear it. And it's a a problem for a good reason. So I think if uh, if you're a Christian, you understand that Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins. And so we get to thinking, uh, sin can't keep me from heaven. I'm an idiot. I keep sinning. I'm wicked. I, I have just such filthy motives in my heart. I'd be terrified if you could see inside my heart, genuinely. But I know Jesus has paid for those. And so we, we get this sort of idea that trust in Jesus, that's really important. That gets me to heaven. Sin, well, Jesus dealt with it. Sin's just not very important at all. But they're not two different categories of things, you see. Sin is to turn away from Jesus Christ. The ultimate direction of all sin is away from Jesus. It is impossible to be turning to and following Jesus while I'm turning away from him in sin. And so to deliberately keep on sinning is to turn my back on Christ, to trample on his blood and to walk away from the cross. Any sin, all sin, is to turn away from God. Let me illustrate. Uh, I remember having a drink with a good friend who was working in a different city from his wife. He'd been working up in London for a couple of months. And his marriage wasn't in great shape when he arrived in London. Um, and he was spending quite a lot of time with a colleague he got on with very well, who just happened to be young and pretty and single and female. They'd been out for drinks. They'd even been out for dinner. He hadn't slept with her yet. They hadn't committed adultery yet. 
But you have to be an idiot not to see that's where you're heading, mate. If you keep going this way, you will end up there in that terrible place. And lots of us who follow Jesus, who trust him for salvation, we're still playing with sins. Uh, Not the sins, all of us as Christians. We confess our sins every week as we've just done because if you follow Jesus, you're still going to stuff up. All of us sin. If you think you haven't got a problem with sin, then your name is Jesus Christ. And I don't see him here tonight. He's here with us by his spirit, but he's not sat in one of the chairs. If you think you don't struggle with sin, you're gravely mistaken. All of us do. I'm not talking about those sins, the sins we're fighting and often losing. I'm talking about the sins we're not even fighting. The ones that we've made an accommodation for. We're, you know, housemates. We're not trying to boot them out. We're happy with them staying in the house with us. You know, a bit of lying. Not too much. It's not like I'm, you know, lying all the time. Worldliness, it's, you know, I just don't want to be weird. (laughs) Uh, Pride. It's good to celebrate the good achievements. Materialism. If you're going to live in London, you've, you've got to live. We shut our ears to the warnings of God's word. We ignore the escape routes that he graciously provides us with as we head towards sins we inevitably feel we have to do. And the thing is, if you talk to us, when you talk to me, it's, yeah, yeah, I I trust in Jesus. Yeah, I'm still coming to church. And if someone were to say, look, I really think you're in danger of falling away. You roll your eyes. Oh, seriously. Stop being so extra. I mean, come on, you know. I may not be Mother Teresa or I don't know what the right word is, Don Carson. I, I may not be perfect, but I mean, come on, I'm not turning away from God. Just not quite as full on about it as you happen to be at the moment. So don't be all judgmental. And I'd probably then call you a Pharisee because that ends any argument, doesn't it? <laughs> but like my friend, when I indulge a sin, I am walking away from Jesus. And if I'm walking away from Jesus, I'm walking towards an eternity away from Jesus. And we've all seen it happen, haven't we? Empty chairs in the church. Empty chairs in our home group, our knowing God group. You know, there's a reason. Look at verse 26. It does not say, if you deliberately keep on sinning. It says, if we a danger for each and every one of us, even for those who are holy enough to write books of the Bible. And if it is for them, it is for you and it is for me. And the reason it's such a serious problem is verse 26, there is no sacrifice for sins left if we turn our backs on Jesus Christ. There is no other way to deal with sin. Jesus has Uh, abolish the Old Testament sacrificial system which the Jewish people had to deal with their sins because he fulfills it. There's nothing left anymore. There are no sacrifices left. Jesus is the only sacrifice that really deals with sin. So if I'm going to sin and I'm going to turn my back on Jesus, what am I going to do? The only choice is either Jesus paid for my sins in history on the cross or I pay for my sins in eternity in myself. 
Imagine uh, this building burst into flames. Uh, It's a warm day, but I'm talking properly hot. I mean, serious, total burst into flames. The whole place goes up, uh, and we're in real danger. Towering inferno-type massive fire. And everything is, you know, we're crammed together. We don't know what's going to happen. We're we're starting to get scared. Uh, Hair's being singed. Those of you wearing shell suits are huddling in the middle. because you. I mean, it's proper scary fire. And then suddenly there's this smash through the wall. And a fireman bursts in and says, don't worry, I've come to save you. At which point, a lot of the girls are thinking, I wouldn't mind that happening. <laughs> uh, now, if the said fireman comes in and says, don't worry, I've come to save you, come this way. Carries off the first swooning person. And, uh, and then we all follow him. If you say... I don't want to follow that fireman. I'll find my own way out. If that is the only way out of the building, and you ignore the only way out of the building, you will end up like a British barbecue. It's just inevitable. Jesus Christ is the only person who has hung on a cross and taken the payment, the death for your and my sins. If we turn our backs on him, We decide it's too hard to follow him. We don't like the things I can't do when I follow him. What are we going to do with our sin? There is no other sacrifice for sin. The furnace of judgment day is coming. The only safety is to shelter in Jesus Christ who has been scorched in our place already. And worse still, God is just. If God is just to punish those who ignore the revelation of him in creation, who've lived in his world and used all his good gifts and ignored him, then how much more punishment is rightfully coming to those of us who know about Jesus and yet live our lives with two fingers up to God? That's why he says those awful, awful words Verse 29, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and has insulted the Spirit of grace? God is just. He will punish more serious sins more severely. And one of the great things about God is he's not a favoritist God. He's not going to ignore the sins of his people. Grow up in a Christian country, you'll be all right with God. No, it won't. God's not favoritist. He's just. And you see, these verses are not verses for pointing at other people. Well, you know, gosh, those wicked atheists who turn people away from God, uh, they're going to have it coming to them. When you look at the last two verses, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, verse 30. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those are quotations from the Old Testament not aimed at the other nations or atheists. They're aimed at the people of God. This part of the Bible is not for pointing at other people. The red dot is hovering on our hearts as the Spirit speaks these words. Don't turn away from Christ. Don't turn away from salvation. Let me pause at this moment because I suspect that two thoughts may be uh, whizzing round um, our heads. One is, I thought you said in church that God was wonderful. And, you know, we sing these songs of praise and people seem to really like God. And you're always telling me that the best thing about heaven will not be skiing down perfect powder fields or enjoying perfect weather. It'll be a relationship with God. So 
hang on, how, you're now telling me God is terrifying and fearsome and uh, what, how can you have both? It's like this, um, whether or not you're pleased to see a policeman depends entirely on your relationship with the law. I remember back as an 18 year old, um, I had been on an Amtrak train, um, which is a very strange place. And uh, I'd got off of Waco, Texas, which is an even stranger place. And uh, being a very sensible 18-year-old, I got into an argument with a drunken redneck, which is a very stupid thing to do. Uh, he had just got to the point of telling me he thought I needed uh, to be taught a lesson, at which point I remembered that most rednecks have got a gun rack on their pickup truck that would rival the British Army. And I realized I was in quite serious trouble. And then I saw the flashing blue lights coming down the road, pull into the parking lot. The door opened. It wasn't great, actually. Uh, the policewoman who got out was four foot eight. <laughs> Seriously, of all the policewomen in Texas. Uh, but she had a badge and she had a gun. And she arrested him for drink driving and took him away. And at that moment, there was nobody in the world I would more rather have seen than her. Uh, except maybe Chuck Norris. But um, you know what? She did the job. And I was just delighted to see the police. I wasn't so delighted a couple of months ago when I was in New Zealand. And I again saw the flashing blue lights. Uh, but I've been ignoring the speed limit. I think I'd even ignored my wife telling me I was ignoring the speed limit. And it wasn't so much fun to see the police then, because I was not in a good place in the law. If you and I are forgiven by trusting in Jesus, nothing will be more wonderful than seeing God on Judgment Day. Our King, our Creator, our Provider, our Father, our Saviour as he welcomes us into his paradise forever. But if I've ignored salvation, if I've insisted that God give me what I deserve for my sins, there will be nothing more terrifying than meeting the judge. I said there were two questions. The other question that I guess many of us will have is, um, does this mean that Christians can fall away? You know, it seems to say here that you can be following Jesus, that was this way, wasn't it? Uh, and then you can fall away. Is that I, but I thought that um, this church taught that uh, God saves us and he protects us for all eternity. So what's going on? Well, there is no doubt in the Bible that uh, we are saved by God. It is his work and he's very good at doing saving and he's never lost anybody yet and he doesn't plan to do so in the future. He will save us utterly and forever. Uh, Romans chapters 8 to 11, if you want to read through, in one sense, uh, four whole chapters showing us that God never lets his people go. You can trust him. Uh, Jesus himself says in a number of places, like John 6, 39, This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. So how do you fit that with Hebrews 10, 26 to 31? Well, the first thing here is that uh, Hebrews doesn't teach you can fall away, and Hebrews doesn't teach you can't fall away. Hebrews is there to teach, don't be an idiot and run away. It's just not what Hebrews is there for to teach. The point of Hebrews is to warn us not to fall away, rather than to teach us whether we can. And actually, it, it fits perfectly with the rest of the Bible. If you imagine salvation is a road... Uh, Jesus even, even uses this image. So it's a road, you've got to drive towards heaven and following Jesus all the way there. And the problem is we're idiots and, you know, it's all nice sinful temptation and we drive off, <laughs> crash, or, you know what, this road is a bit tough. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll try an easier road. I mean, 
there's two ways you could stop somebody driving off that road. Uh, one is if God were to build these hoofing great barriers all the way down the side. So even if I decide, right, I'm going off the road, I just bounce back on. It's like some dodgems all the way to heaven. I don't think, I don't think that's the way God does it. There's a second way that God could keep us on the road, and that's this. He could put huge blaring signs every mile, flashing red, saying, don't drive off the road. If you do, your car will explode into flames. Bad things will happen. Stay on the road. It's catchy, isn't it? (laughs) I could go into sloganeering. Uh, You know, he could put huge, huge signs, and then he could put a passenger in with you in the car saying, that's a very serious warning. You should, you should be careful. And that is what God does for us. He gives us real warnings about what would really happen if we turned away. And then he puts, not a passenger in the car with us, but his spirit in our hearts to help us hear these warnings and take them seriously. So no, you can't fall away if the Lord Jesus has a firm grip on you. But the way that God keeps us is by warning us and helping us to heed those warnings. I wonder if a few of us tonight, though, know that the Holy Spirit is skewering our conscience in particular. I wonder if we, we know that uncomfortable feeling that lots of bits of the Bible are not exactly about me. But it may be that for some of us tonight we know I am not walking in a good direction. God has been kind and given you a warning. Please listen to it. Come back to Jesus. Turn away from sin. After the warning uh, comes the encouragement, much, much more briefly. But it is an odd encouragement to our ears. Look at verse 32 and following. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Do you remember the good old days as a Christian? You know, the best time when you were a Christian. You know, that time when you had spit dribbling down your cheek from being insulted in the street. Do you remember that time when the Knowing God group had to meet at Wandsworth Prison in the visitor room because so many people had been locked up for for speaking about Jesus? Wasn't that great? Oh, do you remember the time when when the house was burnt down and all of our stuff was was gone because uh, people just hate Christians so much? Those were the days, weren't they? Don't you just long for those days again? How is that encouraging? Is this guy off his rocker? Let me show you why this is encouraging. Seriously. I love a good war film. I don't know what that says about me. I don't care. I'm too old to care these days. Uh, but I love a good war film. I don't like the kind of Rambo nonsense. I like the real life ones. Band of Brothers. Genius. If you've never seen the series, you should. Uh, Lone Survivor. Just out. Brilliant. And the interesting thing is in almost all of these films where there are incredible feats of heroism, at some point they show you the training that the guys have been through. And it's always brutal beyond belief. 200 press-ups, 20-mile run with 60 pounds on your back. Get to the end, do it all again and again in the rain, people shouting at you. Why do they always do that? I think the reason they always show you the training in the movies, which I have to, find, I have to say I find really inspiring. I always, it always gets me up and out for a run afterwards. And I'm 
two kilometers in, I realized why I'd never joined the army. But the, uh, but the reason they do it is very simple. You believe that they can endure the stuff that happens to them in combat when you've seen what they've gone through in training. Once they've been through that, you can understand how they can endure this. And I think that's the writer's point here. He's writing to Christians on the point of giving up. And he says, hold on, don't give in. Look back, don't you remember all that you endured? Don't give in now, in this trial, this struggle, when you've already been through so much and still carried on. Look, if you're a young Christian, if you've just put your faith in Jesus recently, don't be surprised if you go through some really tough times early on in your faith. It's not a sign that you've backed the wrong horse. You need to go through some tough times so that you don't remain soft and weak, but you become battle-hardened because, I hope you were warned before you became a Christian, it doesn't get any easier, but you get tougher. If you wanted an easy life, there are other religions you could have chosen. There's no other salvation, so this is the only way to go. But it is tough. But you get tougher. And persecution here developed perseverance and resilience, so they were able to keep going. We'll see later on in chapter 12 especially that other forms of suffering also help us stay tough and prepare us for all that is to come. And note too that it's not just being battered makes you stronger. It's going through tough times with hope in your hearts. There is something we need to sustain us. Look at 34 to 35 with me. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Can you imagine kneeling in the street, singing, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. While your house is being looted by a mob stirred up in anti-Christian fervor. They're taking your iPad, your bike, driving away in your car. The jewellery your grandmother gave you is being fought over in the street. Your engagement ring's gone. Can you imagine singing those things while that happens? That could only happen if you have such a strong, firm grasp that God is good. That God rewards his people. And the third one, which I find hardest to believe, that when he blesses us in eternity, it will be better than if he gave us blessings here in this life. God is good. God will reward his people. And to be blessed in eternity will be better than having physical stuff now. Because they believed that, they endured. If you just cashed the winning cheque for the Euro Millions lottery, seven days' time it clears, and you're walking back from the bank, and you jostled on the tube on the way, and you get home, oh, oh no. But my wallet, I've been pickpocketed. I can't believe it. What am I going to do? I had thir- I'd just taken out 30 quid. What on earth am I going to do? And my cards and my Oyster card are just done auto top up. There's 30 quid on that as well. Oh, this is just a nightmare. I can't believe it. What are you, you idiot? You're going to be worth 100 million in seven days. Why would you care about losing your wallet? 
if we just could see what is coming, what God has prepared for us, then we would be able to lose things as they lost things and not care because our treasure, our richness is to come in heaven. The writer wants you and me, if you've been a Christian a while, to learn from our past. He says to you, look, if you fought sin in the past, even though it was hard, you can fight the sin that you're struggling with today, although you don't believe you can beat it. If you manage to keep witnessing and inviting friends to hear about Jesus and and trying to talk about Christ with them, even though they're mocking you in the office and you've been told you need to pipe down, if you manage to do it in the past when they laughed at you, then you can do it now. If you manage to get through bereavement and relationship breakdown and loneliness in the past because God strengthened you by his spirit, then you can get through the trials of today and tomorrow. Look back and learn and look forward and long for what is to come. Verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Let me look at these last verses much more briefly. He's repeating this theme that there is a great future award, but now the emphasis changes slightly from the fact of the future award to the certainty of the reward that is ours in Christ and that is coming soon. God has promised, and therefore it will be ours. God has promised. You know, why did creation happen? Why is the physical matter? Because God spoke a word and his word is so powerful that if he says, let the be 96 trillion, 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 trillion stars, they just have to appear. They have no choice because his, his word shapes reality. So if God says Jesus is coming back, I'm going to remake the world and I'm going to reward my people beyond their wildest dreams, then it cannot help but happen because his word shapes reality. And he quotes a couple of Old Testament passages here. The first one is from Isaiah. And originally it looked forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 37, For in a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay. And his point is just as when Isaiah was originally given that prophecy 700 years before, Jesus had to come and die on a cross to pay for sin. So now, As we read that promise in the light of his return, we know that Jesus is coming back to bring us our reward. The second quotation is uh, from Habakkuk that takes us through the end of the passage. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. They're annoyingly black and white, those verses. Uh, and it's one of these things, have you ever noticed it's so much easier to give advice to other people than it is to, to receive advice yourself? Because what I find is most other people, it's pretty clear the issues in their life. It's very black and white. Whereas I find with me, things are much more nuanced and grey. I don't know if you find the same. I know an awful lot of people who just need some straight talking. But I very, very rarely find that I'm in need of it. It's just, I guess that must just be me. But <laughs> God's word here is black and white. You are either shrinking back, indulging sin, walking away from Christ, or you are trusting God, you are living by faith, you are believing and heading for salvation. Black and white, either or. 
And God says, stop nuancing. Stop trying to say, well, you know, uh, I guess it depends really what you mean. And uh, I mean, do you mean just at the moment or do you take a long view? Uh, Which way are you heading right now? If someone from the outside was looking in at your life, because we all fool ourselves, which direction would they think you were heading in at the moment? Uh, One way from the passage to test that, I guess, would be this. What specific sin are you fighting at the moment? Don't shout out loud, please. But what specific sin are you fighting at the moment? If I cannot think of any specific sins that I'm fighting, it means one of two things. I am perfect, which might be the case, although my wife sometimes tells me that I'm not. Or I might might be at peace with my sin when I ought to be at war with my sin and at peace with my God. Some of us here are struggling along but trusting Jesus. We're failing with sin and we feel miserable failures. You need to know that when we confessed our sins, we did so in the certain confidence that Jesus has paid for everything. You need to know that he is coming back soon and he will reward you. And you need to know that Christianity is not for perfect people but for sinners. That's why Jesus died for you. Hold on. Keep going. Others of us, these verses are convicting us and we need to stop messing around. We need to turn back to God, to repent. We need to know that what sin promises never delivers. What God promises will be wildly more than we can imagine. Likewise, if you remember last week, we looked at uh, the earlier part of chapter 10 and very much a focus on our Drawing into God's presence together. Two things for us, therefore. The throne room of God is open. Our Father is waiting for us to ask him for help. If we feel convicted that we're not fighting, if we feel we're just exhausted, we don't know where we find the the strength to get up and fight again as Christians, come to God. Your Father has all the strength you need. And his throne room is open to us. But also, do you remember that these, all these you, yous are you plurals and all these we's and us's? We can't do it on our own. We're surrounded by a band of brothers and sisters here that God has given us to encourage us, to keep us going. And so he doesn't just say to you individual. He says to us, don't shrink back. Let's press on together towards the reward of Christ. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to hear these words rightly. Some of us, uh, we've got very tender consciences and uh, we only have to hear a slight warning of judgment in the Bible and we feel that we're hopeless failures and that you must be ready to, to turf us out. Would you help us to know with certainty that Christ's death pays for our sins? Would you encourage us that as hard as we find it, The Lord Jesus is coming and he will reward all his people. Father, others of us, we're playing with sin. We're fooling ourselves that it's all right. We're not going to fall away. Would you be kind enough to wake us up? Would you give us friends who love us enough to know whether we need uh, an arm round the shoulder or a slap round the, the face metaphorically? And would we love one another enough as a church to encourage one another so that we press on together and not shrink back. 
Lord, we long that we would see your reward. Give us to the eyes of faith to see it even tonight. Amen.